Welcome to the Master Series, your guide to intelligent production, brought to you by Entertainment Partners. I'm your host, Natalie Nelson. In the Master Series, we focus on important issues impacting the entertainment industry and its workers through in-depth discussions with legal, tax, payroll, technology, and production experts. On today's episode, I am joined by a dynamic group of producers, industry experts, and incentive specialists who will be addressing the state of production in Georgia, which continues to be one of the nation's top filming locations. We're going to have a great discussion today, so let's meet our panel. Today we are joined by producer Bonnie Weiss, an industry veteran with over 35 years of experience working in film and television with roles ranging from production accountant to producer. Her notable producing credits include Nip Tuck, The Originals, Rizzoli and Isles, and the feature Running with Scissors. Currently, she is producing the CW series Legacies. Next, we are joined by producer and director Gideon Amir. Gideon is former SVP of production at Hearst Entertainment, former head of production for movies and miniseries at Sony Pictures Television, and returning to production, he has worked on multiple series and pilots, including the ABC drama Missing, starring Ashley Judd, and he is currently co-executive producing HBO Max's Doom Patrol. We are also joined by producer and director Mitchell Galen. Mitchell is a multiple award-winning producer who has developed and overseen the production of features, TV movies, miniseries, and series, as well as documentaries and theater productions in his over 35-year career. His notable credits include AMC Shutter's Creepshow, Sci-Fi's miniseries Dune, Stephen King's The Stand, Pet Cemetery, Thinner, and Tales from the Dark Side. Also with us today is Peter Stathopoulos, partner at Bennett Thrasher and Taylor English. Peter leads Bennett Thrasher's entertainment practice, consulting clients nationally regarding incentives and tax issues. He is head of governmental affairs of Georgia Production Partnership and is former partner at McGuire Woods, leading the firm's tax and economic development incentives practice in Georgia. He is also a frequently published author and public speaker regarding entertainment incentive issues. Rounding out our panel is Andra Reeve Rabb, Dean of the School of Entertainment Arts at Savannah School of Art and Design. Named by Variety as one of the top entertainment educators in the world, she is former director of primetime casting for CBS Television New York on Emmy-nominated and award-winning series such as The Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother, Two and a Half Men, CSI, and NCIS. She is also director of the SCAD Casting Office, the only professionally-run casting office at the University level. There, she has helped to place over 500 students and faculty in jobs both in front of and behind the camera on projects such as the Underground Railroad, Council of Dads, the Glorias, and many more. And finally, today's moderator is Joseph Kianese, Senior Vice President and Production Incentives Practice Leader here at Entertainment Partners. Joe provides production and legislative consulting, financial, tax, and administrative services for domestic and international production incentives. He has over 35 years of accounting, government affairs, production incentives, and tax experience, and he has formerly held positions at Sony Pictures Entertainment, The Walt Disney Company, ABC Television Network, Paramount Pictures, and Ernst & Young. And now, this is the Master Series. 
welcome to our spotlight on Georgia. And a big thank you again to our panelists, especially our producers, Bonnie, Gideon, and Mitchell, who put themselves on pause today to take time to speak with us. And again, a thank you to Andre, who's going to give us some big news regarding the Savannah College of Arts and Design. And then Peter, who's going to give us an update on what's going on with the Georgia Incentive. So the spot, you know, this is interesting, this panel. I did one probably a little less than a year ago. So it's, it's great to sort of bring a spotlight to Georgia again. But the spotlight's really been on Georgia for many years and for many reasons. Over the last 15 years, Georgia has really grown to become the go-to U.S. location. And it has the crew, the infrastructure, stages, vendors, incentives to really support film, television, uh, documentaries, animation, video games. So it, Georgia has it all. I think right now, and a panelist can probably chime in and, and answer this, but I think there's like 50 active productions going on in Georgia right now. So I, I would say Georgia probably doesn't really need a spotlight. It's shining pretty bright. I, I would say that, you know, thanks to the support of the state and local government, it's really grown into a very strong uh, production community that continues to grow and also support the economy. Because this industry, if nothing else, brings jobs. And there's a, a trickle-down effect to that when when there are jobs. So I'm very excited to uh, jump into this conversation with our panelists. Um, so as I said, this is a, a producer's perspective, but we have more than just producers on our panel today. So I'm going to start off by asking everyone to sort of say, you know, what makes Georgia the destination? And I'll, I'll start with Bonnie. What makes it the destination? It's uh, it's grown to that point, but you know, uh, it still has a very strong flow of production and with no slowdown in sight. Well, it's exactly what you said, Joe. All the infrastructure is here. There's everything from crew. Uh, there's all the equipment is here, all the rental houses. So we have to bring very little from somewhere else. It didn't used to be like that. I mean, I, I worked here in the 80s and in the 90s, and the infrastructure wasn't nearly as strong. There's also, um, you know, if you think about it from a logistical standpoint, there's a major airport here. We're, you know, not that not that far. It's got a variety of looks for locations, things like that. Uh, where we're out in, out in Rockdale County, I mean, the look of our show um, we, we can achieve everything we need either by building our sets here on at big warehouses. Uh, there is stage space and I don't get uh, speak to that, but there's a lot, there used to be lots of big warehouses where we could build sets and there's uh, good outdoor uh, venues where we could have exterior sets too. So I, we have the right look for our, our show here. Our show takes place in Mystic Falls, Virginia. And this looks just like I would, expect Mystic Falls, Virginia to look like. Yeah, you know, Georgia just has a lot of looks and feels that really can capture a lot of um, locations around the country. I want to jump to, to Gideon, but I just want to highlight one thing you said, Bonnie, and that is because I, I talk with a lot of uh, states and countries who either have incentives or are interested in incentives. And I, the first thing I tell them, it, it doesn't happen overnight, especially if you don't already have infrastructure and crew. It really is a, a long-term investment, and Georgia made that investment. It, it, it took time, but the crew got there, the vendors built up, and the infrastructure continues to grow, which is exciting to, to, to share with everyone. So, so Gideon, I think I'm right on this. Have you relocated as well? Are you living full-time in Georgia as well, not just working there? Well, my wife uh, is going to join me soon because we lived in North Carolina after we left L.A. Uh, so we were kind of all over the place. But she had enough of flying solo, so she's joining me and we'll be here, yes, together. 
So what keeps, I mean, from a professional perspective, what brings, continues to bring you back to Georgia? Well, once the series is renewed and you're invited back, that, uh, that's what brings you back. But what brings you initially to, to Georgia is the fact that um, it's big enough to, to supply all the needs of a feature or a series. And it still has this embrace of a place that you feel that people care about you and what you do. It's a wonderful uh, combo to feel embraced on one hand and to go as wide and big as you need on the other hand. Uh, besides that, it's got a good philharmonic and the food's great. Important. <laughs> you know, you, you also brought up a really good point about television. Um, you know, I know when talking to clients that are producing television, it's really critical if they're choosing a location, especially with an incentive attached, that they're dealing with an incentive program with a lot of long-term certainty because there is a lot of costs to setting up a show. And the last thing you want to do is have to move it because something changed legislatively. So again, Georgia really has had a lot of sustainability and uh, with their with their incentive, which is really important. So thanks for that. So Mitchell, um, You've been there for a while. So, what, uh, what, uh, anything different from your perspective that brings you back to Georgia? Things you want to highlight for our for our audience? Well, the first time I shot here, they maybe had a crew and a half to two crews of depth. I mean, it just completely changed. I think what happened was when Louisiana's incentive got a little bit wonky, when North Carolina pretty much changed their incentive, and Georgia was really. They're, they're very supportive of the film community in terms of the government. And Peter obviously can speak more to that in terms of what the current status is, but they're very welcoming. And at the end of the day, what, what Georgia has, I mean, Wilmington was building up, but what did Wilmington had, you know, beyond the beach and stuff like that? They didn't have a lot of cultural artifacts that incite people to want to spend a lot long periods of time there. Georgia has it all. It's a major city. You know, it's it's. It has some down-home charm and small-town feel in certain parts of it, but at the end of the day, it's a major city. As Gideon said, it's you know it's it's got the symphony, it's got the ballet, it's got you know theater production. So it's really a good place for a lot of people to work. Um, and for me, it's it's where I get my cultural you know juice coming because there's not a lot of it in Kauai. So for me, it's a nice change of pace. So, so it's interesting. I want to jump to Andre on this point because, you know, when people think of Georgia, they think solely of Atlanta and, and that's changing in part due to the uh, Savannah uh, incentive, but also a growing infrastructure there. So, so Andre, we're going to talk more about it, but, um, you know, from a different perspective, a different part of the state, talk about why Georgia is, is such a destination for producers. Absolutely. Um, well, <clears throat> Gideon um, mentioned the fact that it's all here. Um, SCAD has been at the forefront of truly training the next generation of storytellers. Um, we have every single, you know, our superpower is all about collaboration and you see it every day here in action at SCAD because we have it all. We have film and television, production design, you know, themed entertainment, performing arts, sound design. And so we're training all of our students um, for these creative professions. Um, and because of that, we have been growing this workforce. We all, right now we have over 3,500 alum that are, are choosing to stay in Georgia and work on all of these incredible sets. Um, and part of that is that they're doing it while they're here. We make it possible. We see the value. 
everyone who, who teaches here is from industry. And so we know what it means to actually get these jobs while they're here training. Um, and so our commitment is only growing. We just announced last week that our Savannah Film Studios we're, we're doing a massive expansion of uh, 10 acres that we are, we've already broken ground on that is going to include a state-of-the-art XR um, stage and uh, for virtual production. And then we're also building one in Atlanta. Um, but we're really one university. Uh, so our, everybody has access to, to both campuses and also our campus in Lacoste. Um, so for, for us, that's a game changer. That's sound stages, costume shops, scenic. Um, and it's only training those students on what's next. So we're, we're, we have the facilities and we're creating that workforce. So that's kind of our. And you guys still have the additional incentive if you shoot in Savannah? Yes, we sure do. We that sure helps. do. It helps. It sure does. Um, and so, yeah, we have the and now with our expansion, you know, in addition to that, the XR stage, we're we're building three additional sound stages um, and all of that, you know, phase one of that is actually going to be ready in September. Um, we also are building this massive backlot um, along with Paul Wansek, who helped build Tyler Perry Studios. Um, he hired a lot of our production design students to help build that. And now we're coming full circle and he's down here in Savannah helping us build this beautiful backlot. So Andre, we're going to come back to SCAD and also jobs training, which is a real critical element, not just to, for Georgia, but the industry with such, such a, a boom of production in the U.S. and around the world. There just aren't enough people to get the work done. And so there's a lot of opportunity out there for folks who aren't even aware of the jobs that are in this industry. So we're going to talk more about that. So I just want to just jump to Peter, who was sort of in the room where it happened, I guess, 15 plus years ago when um, this legislation was being drafted. So you have probably the widest perspective right, Peter, you were there when it was being discussed and you now see it today. So maybe, um, again, maybe why, and you're talking to, you know, to a lot of clients and producers as well. So again, maybe beyond what we said thus far, what is uh, making Georgia the destination? Yeah, I think, Joe, you, you touched on it, which is stability, right? So my clients, uh, I tend to be talking to production finance people at the studios. And when they're trying to make investment decisions in a state that are uh, tied to incentives, they're looking at stability of the program. Georgia's program has been largely unchanged, uh, at least substantively, since 2008. So, uh, and it's just, it's, it's dirt simple. So, uh, a lot of programs, I won't name names in, in other states, sound really good, but when you kind of dig into the details, there's a lot of catches and gotchas and backouts. The Georgia program is just dirt simple. You get there's no, there's no program cap. There's no sunset date that you got to worry about. There's no above the line limitations that you got to worry about. Uh, there's no residency requirement. There's no local content requirement. It's, it's a 30% credit. You take it all day. It applies to everything. And it's easily uh, catchable. You know, we've got a very uh, vibrant uh, market for the sale of these credits. Very easy to monetize them. Uh, brokers take you know, a very small percentage of the, the fee related to that. Um, and I think it's broad political support. This, this program has political support longstanding across both sides of the aisle. So, um, and you know, that's reflected recently, Georgia uh, made permanent a new House committee. So I think we're only one of 
two or three states that has a permanent House subcommittee on the entertainment industry. So any legislation that potentially relates to our creative industries has to go through this now permanent standing committee. And um, so once again, that adds a measure of political stability. You know, that being said, there's been a few changes here and there, like like every state, we've had some kind of checkups every five years or so. And, you know, uh, I can touch on some of the stuff that happened last year when you think it's right. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into it. But I think I think sustainability is key. And also every program needs to sort of revisit, you know, how it's working for the state itself, as well as the producers, because it's all about sustainability. So, um, so let's jump back a year ago. Um, and again, uh, one of my favorite lines from the musical Hamilton is what happened in the room where it happened. So that infamous day, I think we were talking yesterday, March 13th. Um, and I think Bonnie, I'm going to start with you. I think you had a great story where, um, you know, no one knew what was in front of us, but we definitely knew, uh, what was happening at the moment. So tell us what happened that day, March 13th, as you were, I think, wrapping, what was, yeah, we we were actually still shooting. We were uh, in season two of Legacies. We had 20 episodes to produce. We had finished episode 16. We had done a little bit of cross-boarding between 17, 18, 19, and 20. And we were prepping, actually, the finale. But things had started to get a little wonky. There were lots of, uh, you know, some issues that had been coming up. There was a lot of stuff showing up on the news. We had cast that was nervous about coming to work. There were catering protocols that all of a sudden had to be changed. I mean, everybody thought this was really going to go away in like two weeks. Well, we we realized kind of the studio was uh, being contacted a lot and in conjunction with them. But you know what? We may have to take a break. And then we realized we may get to the point where we may have to shut down and got a phone call from the showrunner who said, you know, I just watched a cut of episode 216 and I think it would make a great finale. I just need another shot of one of our actresses uh, bludgeoning the creature to death. I said, all right, maybe we can get that tomorrow. She goes, you know what? I think you should get that today because we may not be shooting tomorrow. I went in the conference room where we were prepping. I'm like, all right, we're done prepping. I need uh, that first AD. I need to pull you off. We're going to stop what we're doing right now. We're going to put. We're going to call an actress who had already left the building on her way back to Atlanta. Going to bring her back. We're going to get a stunt double. We're going to bring her back. We're going to put them through the works. We're going to bludgeon the the big bad wolf, and we're going to f- make sure we finish that episode. We barely got through the day before people were terrified that you know toilet paper was flying off of the grocery store shelves, and. We made it by the skin of our teeth. And at that point, by Friday the 13th, that we, we were done. So we did have some people that stayed and kind of wrapped. They were um, comfortable coming to work, but the shooting crew was wrapping as, as quickly as they could. Anybody who was comfortable to, to stay and wrap for about a week did so. And then we just shuttered our doors and that was it. Waiting, you know, for... The phone to ring weeks, months later, find out what we were going to do. Wow. And Mitchell, what about your project? Were you already in production? Were you? Uh, where were you with regards to uh, Creep Show? Well, our first day of production was March 16th, and everyone closed down on the 13th. So um, it was one of those things. It's like the only thing I can describe is like coitus interruptus. You're ready to go, and it's like, eh, nope, never mind. You're out. Um, so we basically, that Friday, we, we sort of, batted down the hatchets of the studio, anticipating that we, we were told we might be back up and running 
anywhere from two to four weeks. Clearly, that was not close to the case. Um, and so we had to go into uh, about, I think we needed almost two weeks of pre-production again to get back up and rolling and get up to speed. And, you know, you have this great momentum that is just, just stopped in its tracks. It's, it's really tough. The energy was great. And then it was like, kind of like, oh, and, but everyone sort of had a premonition that there was going to be some sort of slowdown, stoppage, something. It's like, it was just, it was building. Nobody knew to what extent. And since we're independently financed, our objective or the objective of the financiers was to get up and rolling as quick as possible. And I think we were the first ones up and rolling on the long form um, in Georgia. So we're sort of, you know, we were the guinea pig uh, in terms of a lot of ways. And Gideon, what about your project? What, where, where were you um, we, at, that, we were, at that point we, in time? <laughs> we, we were shooting episode 10 of season two. And we had three, three more days to go after that Friday. Uh, but that Friday, when the news came, very similar to what Bonnie describes, uh, it was clear that our attention has to be immediately um, trained at what is missing from previous episodes that we need pickups. So we had a producer-director with us. We had, uh, we worked with many cameras, so uh, because we had a lot of, um, we, we basically worked in parallel on a lot of the show. So we had uh, uh, a six camera package with us and we went crazy basically <laughs> and shot uh, all the pickups that were needed for seven, eight, nine. And that's how it ended. And uh, that's how they aired the show with nine episodes. And we came in this, this season to basically complete 10, and start 301. So this, the, the first episode this, this season is actually a combination of what we had and what we've created in order to start the season. So now we're 365 plus days later. Uh, Georgia was, if not the first, one of the first states to get back into production July, early August? July. Thinking July. I know that there was uh, Tyler Perry with uh, his, um, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's sort of camp, compound. Camp quarantine. Thank camp you, quarantine. camp quarantine. And so, uh, so yeah, so 365 days later, vaccines, everyone's being vaccinated, I'm vaccinated, woohoo. Um, so I guess I would ask everyone, how, how, how have your jobs changed now that it's 365 days later? Talk about what it's like on the set. You know, what are your protocols like? Um, what's, what are the crews like? Just maybe give us an update with that for some reason bonnie i'm staring right at you so i'll have sure, you <laughs> sure well we were we were we came back we started shooting in october um but the production manager the production supervisor and i were um kind of recruited by our production exec to be part of uh, a, a group of uh teams like us being from georgia another one or two out of la and i think some in new york vancouver and toronto to figure out, you know, to set up the return to work guidelines because those were being negotiated with the unions. So we were already on back in July working from home and doing all this, you know, this is like when Zoom, you know, became the thing. 
So we started working and trying to figure that out and how we were going to separate each other, how they were going to set up a team, basically a COVID team. So each show has, you know, a, like a, a health or COVID department. So that, that um, was initiated and that had to be staffed. And that was just really figuring out, I mean, the short version of it's figuring out, like, how do we go back to work and keep people safe and how do we not shut down but uh you know testing it, it all became about testing and it became about the ppe we're so used to it now because we started shooting october 15th and we've had some shutdowns due to covid positives and exposures but you walk around with a mask you have we wear badges and trackers that is for contact tracing and there are certain people that i don't see in person anymore you know, and production manager and I, who, I mean, we were, you know, like attached at the hip. We, we talk on the phone a lot. We Zoom a lot. She mostly rides the set. I ride the desk. It's, it's, it's not really, um, it's not ideal. We have a lot of people working remotely, too. That was encouraged. Mm-hmm. Kind of reduce the capacity of the building. We have our cast. I mean, we're in a huge warehouse. So we had dressing rooms. We now have the cast in, in trailers out back, you know, like old school. We separated our hair and makeup trailers, so we have two trailers now. And I'm, I'm a small show, so we don't normally have that much stuff. So it's a lot more stuff. There's a lot more people that you have to add for COVID reasons so that uh, you don't have people bunched together. Nobody rides in a uh, big scout bus anymore. We all individually drive ourselves on director scouts and tech scouts. Um, I mean, that's just like a couple of the highlights of the stuff uh it's become second nature and it's also so fluid because i guess yesterday just the cdc announced their new guidelines and if and how that's going to affect our industries yet to be mm-hmm. determined i think you had mentioned yesterday that more than likely your show isn't going to change much it's going to stick to the very um strict guidelines yes until you know the, the studio will uh have the studios are going to be negotiating with the unions right now not doesn't seem like anything's changing we come back for our next season, not until September. So I have a feeling there'll be a lot more discussions while we're, we finish shooting late June, but probably around that time and before the time we come back, we'll see if, if some of the protocols are relaxed or not. Well, I'll just say we're just we're lucky as a nation that we're we have access to the vaccine, unlike some countries. So, you know, I think we're better off or will be better off than some. But I know Canada really hit the ground running uh, in the summer and early fall. And now, unfortunately, they've been hit um, with a with a spike. And one of the reasons is the vaccine hasn't been as as widely distributed in Canada yet. So I think we have to be grateful here in the U.S. Um, Mitchell, um, Gideon, anything you want to add in terms of how your jobs have changed and talking about uh, how your uh, protocols and um, procedures on the on the set may have changed and may have permanently changed? Well, there's two things to me that sort of, you know, have not been mentioned, which is there's an overriding pall of anxiety. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, film production is stressful enough. We now have this overlay of concern about health and well-being emanating from the crew, exposure, Producers, I mean, everyone feels it. We're all, you know, especially in the beginning, we were all exposed. I mean, every three, but three days a week, we did testing. And that morning, my, my stomach would be in a knot and it wouldn't release until midday when I got the results from our tests. I mean, it's just, you're always on pins and needles. 
And then the other thing is, as producers, I don't, I don't know if if Bonnie and Gideon agree with me, but you try to define the things that you're exposed to that are problem areas. You kind of have a sense of what's going on in pre-production. Whatever's the problem, pre-production is going to be a problem till the end, no matter how you try to mitigate it. There's elements that there's areas that you have to really focus on, you know, in terms of watch, you know, your costs so they keep in control. And then you have this thing called COVID, which is like, who the hell knows what's going to happen? I mean, you don't know you're going to need to shut down. How do you prepare for a shutdown when you don't know what's going to happen? How do you prepare for multiple shutdowns? How do you prepare for any of it? And the costs are significant. And for the most part, um, at least in my situation, it's not like the costs of COVID were reimbursed in, in a material way. So it's coming out of my production. At some point, you're going, I still have a show to produce at a certain level of quality that everyone expects. And you know, people sitting in their offices, not not sitting on a set, have no, you know, they think they know. They intellectually may think they know. They have no fucking clue. I mean, that's just a reality. They're like, they go, oh, you can do it. Oh, sure. I'll just fold everything in. It's it's it makes it sort of it adds a degree of stress that I wish was not there. And I look forward to the day when it's no longer there. But I think we're at the end of the day, SAG seems to control most of the most of the union negotiations with that because their their members are more exposed than anyone else and they're tough. I mean, they instituted things beyond what we had negotiated. They walked on the set and said, no, you have to do this. And so um, they will ultimately dictate what we do. And I, I think it's going to be a year of operating under th this sort of criteria until it, things change. Well, I mean, that's it's just really interesting. And just going back again to what, what Bonnie had said in terms of how people work, it's sort of not working in person anymore. Everything is virtual. So it's great to know that companies like EP and others have these digital production tools and solutions that make that sort of uh, virtual uh, production processing, whether it's, you know, payroll or whatever, possible. So, um yeah, it's a it's a whole new world. So, so Gideon, what about you? I mean, again, maybe you can touch on a little bit more about what's going on with the with the with the cruise well, to Georgia. Um, you know, one of the great things about Georgia is that um, they do qualify residents and non-residents for the incentives. But um, you and I were just talking off camera earlier that uh, when shows are getting crewed up, typically the below the line crew is what would you say earlier eighty five percent local crew. Yes. Yes, that's that's what's happening today. I just want to go back to COVID for a minute. Please. Because, um, it is so um, fundamental uh, in, 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 in how we live, uh, producers and cast and crew. But I think the best explanation for COVID is a quote from, uh, from Mike Tyson that um, everybody has a plan until they're punched in the face and you don't actually know, this is what Mitchell said, where, when that punch is gonna come. When is this COVID officer gonna come and tell you something that means that you're gonna shut down now? Um, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's really um, a wait. The second thing is, <clears throat> It's very difficult to uh, conceive uh, later, it's, it's also not very easy to digest, is that the footprint completely changes. So if we were a big show, um, now we're a bigger show. Um, 
I am afraid to tell you how many drivers we have uh, because I'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> too many, but we need them uh, because, because the footprint is, is such. Um, and, and the other thing that I want to say is that we need to really thank the unions for stepping up um, with Soderberg at the head when it just started with all the other unions joining hands, uh, with the studios joining hands with, uh, with uh, unions uh, so that we can all go back to, back to work. And uh, what we know is that the protocols actually do work because uh, the percentage of those who uh, uh, get infected is, is so low, but it is all because of these protocols. And, and the last thing uh, is a more conceptual issue uh, of how it works for a producer, where on a big production, even on a middle-sized production, it's kind of like the army, right? Hurry up and wait. You need all this power, and then a lot of times you wait. Um, when you're working in COVID, the hurry up part doesn't actually work. Uh, you can't hurry up. Uh, you can't um, do anything. Um, uh, our toolbox as producers is that we can create shortcuts. We can, we can solve problems. But uh, it's not a good idea to do it while COVID. I have a saying here, don't do favors during COVID because a favor is a shortcut. A favor is something that is going to change uh, the plan. Don't do it. Avoid it because uh, it's going to come back to bite you. That's the conceptual part of it. And the application part, again, we've all, you've all touched on it because we get this question a lot is, you know, what percentage of production costs will increase during COVID? And I guess that answer, it's going to vary. Size of show, where, where we all are in the point of the, of the pandemic, right? Right now we're in a, luckily it's going down, but as we all said, it could come back or can change in any moment. So, you know, those costs, there are costs. There are costs. For us, it, for us it's a ton of money. And it's basically like running an operation while you're dealing with an enormous insurance claim while you're shooting. Right. It's almost like you need another department, another uh, uh, accounting department, because COVID touches everything, just like when you have a big insurance claim. It touches everything. There's nothing that is not touched by it. I, I think it makes it's life very difficult because under this new uh, protocol that we're working at, at least at Warner Brothers, um, I am not allowed to go to the set. Bonnie is not allowed to go to the set. So that already is not very helpful, but the accountant is not working in the production office. Uh, so not only do we have to run all this thing through Zooms, but he also has the additional weight of uh, handling the COVID issue, which in, in one or others, it's like another ammo budget, which is COVID. But luckily it's funded. Right. And I was going to say, in the very, very beginning of, of the of the virus, I think people were doing budgets and they were just sort of applying sort of a percentage, sort of a guesstimate. I think now, as as we're producing through this, we know what these real costs are. So it's a 
it's no longer a guesstimate and more of a, an estimate based on what other shows have done. So I think it's going to get a bit more established. So Peter, I want to jump to you and maybe start with um, maybe if and how the incentive uh, has touched on these COVID costs and then maybe just touch a bit more about what's going on with the incentive program. I did really want to touch on also on the uh, forthcoming agreed upon procedures that will streamline, um, hopefully, the audit process. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of a lot of information to cover. So I'll try to do it quickly. You know, in terms of COVID costs, it was a giant question mark as to which ones were going to be qualified expenditures, right? And obviously, the state treating them as qualified expenditures means that the state is subsidizing thirty percent of the cost of those expenditures. So it was a very big deal. And uh, the good news is the state took a relatively dovish um, approach towards these extra expenditures. Um, guidance has come out. You can go on the Georgia Department of Revenue website if you're in the production accounting end of things, and they've got an FAQ about COVID costs. And the general guidance is that uh, as long as a, an additional COVID expenditure is required by federal, state, or local uh, conditions, then that's generally a qualified expense. You know, you can get into the weeds and it gets complicated as to, you know, who's a qualified Georgia vendor in the COVID space. Is the service taking place purely at the production site, in which case they don't have to be a qualified Georgia vendor, or are they doing some of the data analysis and testing offsite, in which case that does need to be done by a Georgia vendor with uh, with the presence here. So it gets it gets complicated around the edges, but the good news is, in general, most of the incremental COVID costs are covered, and therefore the state is subsidizing those through the uh, the production incentive. Going into what happened last year, uh, so historically. Uh, as I said, about every five years or so, Georgia has kind of a, uh, you know, a stage check on its incentive just to make sure it's working right. And so we were about due for one. So what happened last year is the Georgia Department of Audits took a look at the program and said, hey, there's a couple uh, issues we need to tighten up. So, for example, we were the largest film program in the country that had no audit requirement. You know, you could go, you could film a, you know, tentpole $500 million movie, sell the credits with absolutely no requirement that you ever audit your uh, credits. Now, as a practical matter, people were doing that. They were either getting outside CPA firms to do it or the Georgia Department of Revenue to voluntarily do it, but it wasn't required. So the biggest change that happened last year was legislation that was passed that now creates hopefully a streamlined mandatory audit system. Uh, and I say streamlined because we want to avoid the problems that happened in New York and some other states where, uh, you know, reviews of uh, audits basically slow down into the multi-year uh, space. So basically uh, what changes is now everybody has to get uh, an audit. It's phased in over a two-year period. First kicked in for any production certified by the film office on or after January 1st, 2021. And there is a two-year phase in, larger productions have to do it. So people claiming credits of 3 million or more in the first year, and then it kind of ratchets down. And then finally, by 2023, everybody's having to get these audits. Um, in order to prevent it from getting uh, bogged down, there's an outside CPA option. So there's an approved list of CPA firms, which is going to go up shortly. And uh, you can either choose to have the Department of Revenue do the audit, or you can use one of the approved outside CPA firms. And uh, hopefully that will keep uh, things moving along and keep the path to monetization uh, fairly quick. 
One thing, Peter, you and I have talked quite a bit about uh, in terms of certain types of expenses getting disallowed because of lack of clarity in, in legislation. And one in particular is sort of um, payroll handling fees, which I know there's ongoing discussions with DOR to get that resolved. Is there, a, and this is maybe a little commercial for you, is there a, a, a fix, a, a way of preserving an expense that may be uncertain at the moment that more than likely will get resolved favorably down the road? Is there a way of protecting that expense so it's not permanently gone as a potential credit? Yeah, sure. So what I'm recommending to my studio clients is uh, just a quick bit of background. In general, um, payroll handling fees are a qualified expense. Uh, The issue is to what extent they're performed in Georgia. Georgia is still trying to kind of figure out how you do that allocation of how much of the service is performed within the state versus outside the state. While that issue is getting settled, uh, what I recommend productions do is uh, reserve for the issue. So claim, uh, I I would get a representation from the payroll service provider as to uh, how much of the service they believe they're performing in Georgia based on their internal records. And then uh, I would consider claiming that amount, but keeping a reserve in terms of uh, the credits that you claim and sell for a possible uh, disallowance, maybe not of the whole thing, but partially because uh, the allocation method at this point is not yet determined. But that would be a way to uh, not completely forego the credit. So once again, you, you claim the amount that you believe is reasonable. And then if there is um, a slight disallowance, you keep a reserve for that. Great, great. So Gideon, I want to jump back to you and then go over to Andrea to talk about what's going on in infrastructure development. But can you talk a bit about the stages in, in Georgia? I know that there's Eagle Rock and there's the the Trillith, which was the formerly Pinewood Studios. There's the Riverwood Studio in Sonoya. And for those who don't know that story, you should Google the what the, the Walking Dead had has done to the town of Sonoya in terms of turning it around economically, which is exactly what incentives are supposed to do. But Gideon, just talk about some of the, uh, the stages that you're familiar with so the folks know that there's you know, plenty of stages to go around. There are plenty of stages. There are actually 83 stages in, in the state. That's an enormous amount of stages, uh, but it's not enough. <laughs> so people are building more, uh, developing more, uh, just over this weekend, I met with uh, two people, uh, one from LA and one from Athens. Uh, Athens wants to build a stage together with the university there. Um, and um, this other gentleman that I met uh, is interested in building an LED stage, which uh, is kind of the way of the future. Um, the stages are just part of uh, of uh, of the fact that uh, there's more than ten thousand crew members in in Georgia right now. And um, as Mitchell said, when he came here in the '80s, there was a crew and a half, or we used to call it the A crew and the B crew when we were wandering <laughs> around the country and calling like. You have the A crew, so you know that the only available crew is the B crew. Uh, it's not like that anymore because um, there's uh, there's more than 50 shows that are shot uh, at, at, at a time uh, in this state, uh, not including prep and, and rep. Uh, so it's an no- enormous amount. Um, and... Um, and we should mention also that um, w- with what Scott is doing, uh, the IA 
and 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 Georgia are have developed the the, the academy that is also a, a, a very good uh, investment for the state because um, a lot of the crew members that we get uh, are, are coming from there. So that's all, all of these things together. And also important to, to always remember that um, one of the things that uh, make Atlanta uh, work the way it does and Georgia the way it does, apart from the airport, it always starts from the <laughs> airport, is, is the cast. I mean, uh, we really can cast uh, from from Georgia and the surrounding states. And um, we do also bring from New York, uh, LA, uh, and elsewhere, but um, th- there's, there's a fantastic uh, pool of talent here. Well, just, you know, going back to your comment on stages, the, the perfect determinator, if a, if a, uh, incentive program and production hub is successful is uh, third party investment coming into the state and uh, Georgia shows no sign of that slowing down. So excited to hear that. And then speaking of excited, I wanted to jump back to Andrea and have her talk more about what's going on at the Savannah School of Art and Design, because when I saw that article was about a week ago when it was announced, yeah. I was like, I was like, wow. Yeah, I was like, wow. We are, you know, Gideon was talking about the future and for us, the future is now. Our investment um, here in Georgia and beyond uh, is all about what's next. It always has been. And for us, you know, we we have two now XR stages that we are building, one here, one in Atlanta, like I said, ready in September, um, we've partnered with one of our alum um, who co-founded Meptic, um, and she's coming in, fabulous uh, woman, who um, has helped build this over 2,000 square foot uh you know, XR stage. Um, We have game design here. That's the perfect marriage of our departments of film and television and game design, working with Unreal Engine. And, you know, as we all binge watched The Mandalorian this summer, we quickly pivoted from building a 2,000 square foot soundstage to a 2,000 square foot XR stage, um, knowing that that is what's next and um, training our students for that. you know, our students are, we're training, as I mentioned before, all facets, um, not just below the line, but above the line. We had over 136 alum who contributed to over 21 of the Oscar nominated movies um, that we just saw on Sunday. And we're so proud of that. It's one of the reasons that Variety called us one of the top film schools in the world um, last week. And we got top 10 Hollywood Reporter, gave us top 10 costume design schools, because as I said, it's all here. We are training those students. Um, We have 15,000 alum working in LA and New York. Um, We have 35 here in Georgia. So our our school is global. And that's, you know, that's what's next for us is this launch um, of these sounds, you know, these XR stages, also the back lot that makes it, you know, Peter, I know you'll appreciate, but with all of the pressure on the Savannah streets with what's shooting here, you know, one of our first 
parts of our back lot is actually a Savannah street. Um, So we're going to be, you know, offering that not only to industry, but for our students who are learning to, you know, what better than to control our environment here. Um, So we're, you know, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Wow is the right word, Jeff. No, it is. So, because uh, you know, there's so much going on um, in terms of education. Entertainment Partners has got the EP Academy, where yeah. we're training oh, the next generation of production accountants and, and budgeters. You know, it's it's what I always felt was missing is like you have the textbooks learning, and how do you take that and apply it to practical application? And that's what I see SCAD doing, and I'm sure others are. But I just want to highlight what you all are doing and talk more about uh, your other locations. I, I always thought it was Savannah only, but you were saying earlier it's more than Savannah. Absolutely. Atlanta as well. Um, We have extraordinary property in Atlanta with our digital media center. um, And that expansion is just you know, growing leaps and bounds. We're, we're opening our XR stage there um, by the end of 2022. Um, and so that, you know, when you're talking about textbook, uh, we have a motto here, which is we learn by doing. I mean, we're, con- we're creating content every day here. Um, we have platforms, you know, we shoot a lot of a sitcom live in front of a studio audience that went on to win Best College Emmy for a TV series. Um, and you know, we're, we have a sitcom right now, Girls Raised in the South, Grits, that's all written, produced, directed all by um, our African-American students. We're shooting a single camera comedy right now um, with our Latinx um, community uh, called Cinco de Mayo is not a thing. Um, and, you know, we're giving voice to the next generation. Um, the woman who we just won the DGA award for best female director um, for student. I mean, these are, these are proud points for us because we know the importance of making that seamless transition from getting your education, walking on to any of these stages. So. Well, I think we may have to do a, a one uh, panel just focusing on on Savannah School of Art and Design, and, and I look forward to that. You know, and Mitchell, um, maybe I know you have a bit of experience with the Georgia Film Academy. We actually had them on a, a, an earlier webinar that we did at Entertainment Partners. And I, I can't recall if that was all part of what uh, former Governor Deal uh, put in place. But I know that Georgia, again, sort of was always, always in the forefront and sort of training folks within the state to sort of keep people in the state because you know this was always a very mobile industry and people would follow the productions where they went and just given the continuous flow of production in the state there's reasons for people to stay and uh, reasons for more and more people to get trained so i don't know if you want to add anything more about the georgia film academy well i'm a big believer in sort of you know setting up the next generation of of young filmmakers and i think all of the producers on this panel we know we walk on a set and we see how some young kid is working we sort of we almost tag them and go, this person's going someplace. You can tell who's got the stuff. And I mean, I have, I think on every production I've worked on in Georgia in the last four years, I've been involved with the, the film Academy. I'm bringing in interns. It was a little wonky. They had to work out some stuff with the union, which I understand, you know, the union's concern, although my, I maintain that these are your future union members. I mean, it's, it's a good thing to have happen. But in every production, I've hired at least one person permanently on <clears throat> Creep Show. I think there's three people that we wound up hiring as as crew members once once their their session worked out. So it, it's a, it's good for them. They get exposed. You know, when I was doing Tales from the Dark Side in New York, oh so many years ago, 
before many, many people watching this were maybe even born. Anyway, um, we used a lot of people from Columbia and NYU coming out of film school because we were a very, very low budget production. And the, the thing that we used to say is we got to scrape get film school off of them and teach them how to really make movies. I think the difference now is they're not just making student films, they're making films in a professional environment, even if they are in film schools. You see what happens, you know, um, what, what Andre just talked about. You, you see people in, in an intern type of situation. It's real filmmaking. They get to see what happens if, if, they, if they keep their eyes open, their mouth shut, which is what they usually say about young people, you know, first things. They, there's a lot to learn. And we notice I mean, at the end of the day, we notice and we hire them in the next job, um, you know, if we can. So I think it's great. It's, it's a great system. You know, I mean, Georgia has been, you know, I remember like maybe it was only like three or four years ago. They were like they were congratulating themselves that they had over 20 productions gone at the same time. And then a year later, they had 30 and then they had 40 and now they have 50. I'm like going. Where are these people coming from? <laughs> I mean, how many more studios? They, they're continually building new studios. They're continually bringing new crew members. It's, you know, it's a good place to work and live, you know, for a lot of people. So, and there's work available. Right. Well, I just wanted to jump on one last topic. And I think uh, Peter needs to drop off in about two or three minutes. So uh, I'll ask the question of Peter, if you want to add anything before you you leave. But I, I think this aspect of training is, is so critical. And I really wanted to ask each one of you to talk about sort of your career path, uh, especially, you know, Bonnie, I know that uh, starting off as a production accountant and becoming a producer, you know, we've done a lot of these webinars and we keep getting questions, you know, how do I become a producer? So, um, you know, I, I think it's important to talk about Again, practical application, how you sort of learn on the job, and it's not just textbook learning. So maybe each one of you can just talk about sort of where you began and how you got to where you are today. You want to start with Peter because he's... Yes, Peter, I don't know, Peter, if you want to sort of talk. Sure, yeah, so thanks. I uh, appreciate it. We'll say goodbye. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I, there's a huge need for production accountants, constant. Um, so there are training programs you know, my my uh, firm is hiring. I've, uh, my employees tend to get placed uh, at the studio. So one of my former employees is now number two in production finance at Disney. One's at uh, CBS Viacom or Viacom CBS. So, yeah, um, the, you know, it's not just behind the camera. It's not just producing, directing, writing. It's production accountants, people in production finance. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I think that that's one of the things that Jeff Stepikoff is going to work on at, at Film Academy is, is some classes around production accounting. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what some of the other schools do. I'd be curious to hear if, if, if SCAD has anything yet or is interested in, in something along those lines. Yes, they will. Do. <laughs> I was going to say they, 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 they do, and we're going to figure it out to help them as well. So that's right. <laughs> Well, I know, I know, Peter, you have to drop off. I, I just want to add, and then we'll jump to Bonnie, is that, you know, this is obviously an industry that's not slowing down. I mean, everything I re was it last week, again, Netflix announced they're going to be spending $17 billion this year alone on production. And so, uh, the, and these are just, these are high paying, skilled jobs that um, that you can work a lifetime in. So speaking of how careers began, uh, Bonnie, talk, talk, let's hear how you started as an accountant yeah. and, and where you ended yeah. up. I, I actually have an accounting degree from University of Illinois. I'm from Chicago originally. About two years after I graduated uh, school, I moved from Chicago out to L.A. 
I had a f- one friend that worked over at Warner Brothers um, who had an aunt that worked in, in accounting there. And she said, they're always hiring auditors. You should see what they're looking for. And I went out there for a visit and got a staff job at Warner Brothers in television accounting, which I knew nothing about film or television. I knew numbers. So I worked there for a year. I worked on, I left there Warner Brothers and worked for Johnny Carson's company for two years. And he shuttered the company. And I saw that there was a world of freelance production accountants where you could actually be an accountant on a TV show or a movie. Like who knew that they needed an accountant? So I just kind of looked around and I started freelancing in my 20s. And the very first job I did on location was in Atlanta as an assistant accountant on a backdoor pilot for NBCP. And, um, you know, it just kind of, it just snowballs. I have been freelancing for really most most of my career. And then what, what happened was, you know, the accountants, as you move up, and, and I understood uh, accounting easily. It's the production accounting that, that we all talk about. It's gotten way more complicated than when I did it. But it's, it's bookkeeping, but it's a specialty. The payroll is specialized. Everything about the way we, we do numbers here is special. And I know you, I saw you have a CPA after, after your name. So, you know, you, you bring that into the film business and all you know is the number side. You have to learn everything else on the job. But I wasn't intimidated by the number crunching and I kind of like embrace it. Thought, all right, what else could I learn? Well, if I followed around a good production manager, I could learn what they do. And they're responsible for budgets, especially, um, you know, in television. And I, I just kind of gravitated toward that and said, this is, I think, what I want to do. I want to learn about production. So being a production accountant, you, you, what you understand very clearly is a lot of the off-production stuff. And the grip electric camera and the stuff that happens day to day, you have to struggle harder to learn because you're not on, you're not on set. You're not in the prepping process with them. So that's, I kind of like hitched my wagon onto people who were willing to train me so that I could move up and be a production manager and then uh, be a producer. That's kind of, that's great. just never look back. And one thing I just want to ask and make sure I'm correct on this is that because a, a lot of folks who I because I lecture at a lot of the universities and I mentioned production accounting as a career opportunity to really get into the industry and learn it from the bottom up. And people get afraid when they hear the word accountant and they're thinking, I don't know debits and credits. And it's it's not the same. It's more it's cost accounting. And, and it's yes, something it's, you do. I mean, num- being great at numbers is good, but it's not the traditional debits and credits accounting that scare a lot of people. That's right. It is. It is bookkeeping. There is. There is a lot of that. But uh, if you, you know, if that's the side of the brain that that you used to. I used to tell everybody, I'm not really creative. Although I would read a <laughs> script and I'd have to come up with solutions to, you know, sit with the writers and the directors uh, about like how do we actually make this stuff that you wrote down? How do we do this in eight days for the amount of money that we're given? So it actually does become kind of creative but yes nobody should be intimidated by you know it's a business they call it show business this is the business side of some of it that interacts with the creative side and you can kind of make the job you know what you want I mean I I I love having people um come in that have business backgrounds who they really want their creative side to to come out and this it's a 
it's a great path. Great. Gideon, what about you? Talk about sort of uh, your your career arch, if that's the right term. Uh, I, I just want to add something to what Bonnie said uh-huh. uh, about accounting is, is that um, if, if, if someone is, is, uh, is interested in accounting or has a background in accounting and is also curious, there is no better way to enter the world of filmmaking but through accounting because uh, if you are curious as an accountant, you will find out that there is nothing that goes into the frame that don't uh, that doesn't pass your your disc. Exactly. And uh, so so you will learn everything, especially if you have a good uh, mentor or, or or collaborator that that you're free to discuss things. Um, we have a, a friend in common, Wendy Price, who was an accountant. For many years, she still is. And uh, when I was doing the movies of the week and I fell into the movies of the week from the low budget action movies for Canon, and I really didn't know anything about uh, how um, how it's actually supposed to be done because we sometimes went over to the Philippines to do like a movie like Missing in Action and we didn't even have an accountant. We found a bookkeeper there and uh, we found a, a coordinator in the hotel, someone who was behind the, the desk there that we felt can walk and talk on, on the same time. She became the coordinator. So when I fell into <clears throat> the movies of the week and Wendy was the accountant, um, I, I had the opposite thing. I had an accountant who, who was smart, was, was fantastic, and she became basically my co-producer. I didn't talk to anybody without her in the room. And anything that had to do with a dollar amount, if it's one dollar, uh, it, would, it would immediately go on a piece of paper to her and her office was next to mine. So we made the movie together. And that, that's actually what happens with accountants. You make the movie with them because it's not just the accounting, it's also the budgeting. And if I'm and, mistaken, Wendy's working on Ozark right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she is. She is. In and, Georgia. <laughs> uh, and, and, and there's another thing that accounting, uh, accountants have to do is they have to talk to L.A. So uh, they're going to be good at that, which is to- talking to Burbank or talking to Sony or talking to uh, uh, the headquarters is, is, is an art in itself. I myself... <clears throat> started as an AD and um, from AD I, I went into um, line producing um, it wasn't really UPMing because we were doing these action movies low budget action movies I used to call them the two four eights we made them for two they looked like four and they made over eight <laughs> sometimes they made over 80 but that's that's really fine um, but um, uh, I, I, I didn't go into this uh, in, into this mode of the production manager because at that time, um, just like uh, Mitchell said, if people recognized you as as just like he says, you can recognize a crew member, and uh, Menachem or some other uh, producer can recognize a guy that that he just wants to trust. So suddenly you're running with a movie, so you're producing before you were a production manager. Um, but when I came here, 
uh, after uh, working as an AD, I got into uh, the DGA. I went in and became a production manager and then line producer and now producer or executive producer. But um, basically, I see myself as a, as a crew member with just a bigger headache. <laughs> and Mitchell? Um, my first job was uh, the assistant to um, the star of a TV show. And there's not a lot of work to do when you're assisting a, a TV star. They basically, you just tell them they need you on the set and what do you want for lunch? And that's pretty much it. So I, I, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hang out with the production manager, line producer, actually more the line producer. And he kind of took me under his wing. He was really generous about it. Some people view you as a threat, but most, you know, most people. So, okay, kid, you want to learn something? This could be beneficial for me. And so he kind of took me under his wing. And at the same time, when, when the show uh, wrapped, wrapped up, the, the uh, producer, a guy by the name of Robert Halmy offered me his job as his assistant. So I had a choice of either going with the line producer and working with him on an inconsistent basis, making a little bit more money or going, you know, on a full-time job uh, with, with Bob. And at that point, Bob only had four people in his company and he wound up being the biggest, probably the most prolific producer of TV movies and miniseries in the business. And it was always wild with him. It was, you know, he was Hungarian. What they say about Hungarian is really true. Last one in the revolving door first went out and he kind of epitomized. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and <clears throat> at, at some point I moved into running the, the company got bigger and I moved into running production and development from both times. And the first movie that I didn't get the titular title, but I produced was a movie that I developed that was shot in Hungary. Um, and Bob went there with me and we were there for three days. And he says, if you need anything, call me up. And he left. And I'm like, going, oh, my God, I'm in a country in which I don't speak the language. And I'm overseeing a production with people who like are going, who is this guy? Um, and, you know, it's just Bob threw me in the water. So, if, you know, you're either going to swim or sink. If you swim, it'd be really cool and there'd be more opportunities. And that's kind of how it happened. And uh, it was a great experience. I wound up doing three more movies in Hungary. Um, and so I got a flare of work. In East. And this was when the wall was still up. You couldn't dial directly to the United States. You say, I need to place a phone call. And sometime the next day, you'd say, we have your phone call ready. Um, and you gave your passport when you checked in a hotel. It was kind of an interesting situation. And I just continued with that. And, um, you know, I had an interesting situation that I, I came up both on the development side and, and the production side. So um, I then had a couple companies, uh, one Laurel Entertainment, um, best known for doing a lot of Stephen King stuff. And then uh, when Laurel, after a merger with, with, uh, Viacom, with Spelling and World Vision and then Viacom bought us and whatever, eventually that ended. And ABC, Disney set us up in a new company. And I did that for a while. And then I decided to take a break, which is a big mistake. Don't take a break. Hollywood forgets about you. It's like, oh, yeah, my, my grandfather worked with you. No, not really. I, I, <laughs> um, so you just have to build momentum. And when I did that, I decided that I was going to basically pursue two things, which is I pursue my own projects to development. And then for cash flow reason and to work, I would also be hired out as a line producer for other people. Um, in the last couple of years, I've came to the conclusion that I no longer want to production manage. It's I'm getting to the point where, you know, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense for me. It's just, it's, it's too labor intensive in a weird way. And I'm getting a little bit older for that. 
And so I've been line producing probably 65% of my stuff uh, is my work and the rest is developing my own stuff and getting that going. You know, it's pretty clear that, you know, this is, again, an industry where you learn a lot of it on the job and there's so much opportunity, which is a perfect segue to Andre to talk more about sort of her her career starting. I mean, you mentioned you were doing casting, I believe, right? And now um, at, at SCAD. So just talk a bit about that a little bit more, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Um, I I got into this. Um, I was an intern on the Conan O'Brien show the first year he was on air. Um, and all I knew is that I wanted to be in the business. I moved to New York. I had an a-, a background in acting and directing, and I was just so wanting to be a part of it, not knowing what it was. Um, and so I took an internship the first year he was, or the first week, actually, he was on the air and fell in love. And I knew that all my acting and directing background was to go right into casting. And I never looked back. I worked freelance for a while. I was the go-to person anytime you needed casting in New York, but you were shooting in LA. Um, I worked with Michael Apted and Michael Bay, um, all the Michaels. And um, and then I got um, hired um, by Linda Lowy, who's my guru. She's my mentor. She does all of Shondaland um, casting and now at HBO. And, um, and she took me to LA and I worked on uh, David E. Kelly's shows. And I worked on um, uh, a couple of other program, uh, TV shows and CBS called. And I went back to New York. And that's when I became the director of primetime casting at New York, where I was for over a decade. Um, I loved every second of it. The thing I loved the most was actually not only the, the collaborative spirit, but I loved training new casting interns. And so I worked with other um, people in town, other universities to kind of go in, teach one-off audition techniques. And I'm from a background of academics and so after being there for 10 years, um, I had twins and I came to visit um, Savannah and I met this extraordinary woman named Paula Wallace. And she said, hey, why don't you do what you did in New York, but here at SCAD? And I was like, wow, OK. And so I opened the casting office 13 years ago, the only casting office at the university level. But it started because I truly just wanted to train students to be casting directors and then realized quickly the importance of reaching across the aisle. Um, A lot of programs are very siloed and I thought that the beauty here was bring them all together. And so, um, you know, right as I was bringing all these students together, Georgia exploded and all of a sudden my friends in LA and New York were calling going, hey, you have talent there. And I was, yeah, yes, we do. And so, you know, here we are 13 years later, placing, working with all these extraordinary casting directors here in Georgia, um, some who are alum of SCAD. um, And that's how we're getting our students work. Uh, And a perfect example, and then I'll shut up, but we had Deron Horton when he was a junior here. We cast him and um, we worked on Dirty Grandpa. And that was his first role. Now he's the star of Dear White People. Um, Wow. And uh, American Horror Story 1984. And then Kaylee Carter did uh, Z, The Beginning of Everything, when she was a senior. And now she's on Mrs. America, was up for an Independent Spirit Award for um, private, uh, no, what's it called? Uh, with Paul, Private Life, Paul Giamatti. And wow. she's currently on Mrs. Meisel. So it's all about 
training the next generation. I'm so proud of it. Um, and so, yeah, that's me. No, that's fantastic. And we're going to jump to the, some Q&A really quickly, but a great way to sort of end all this. And also one of the things I know that my company's focused on, I think the industry is, is sort of um, diversity and inclusion. I think there is a whole group of folks who don't even know of the career opportunities that are available. So one of the, the initiatives we have is sort of reach out to those folks at the community colleges or wherever and make them aware of these opportunities and help, and help train them. Because you're right, it's about uh, the next generation because there's a lot of production yet to be done. So with that, I'm going to jump back to Natalie and have her ask some questions. But if I don't get a chance to thank you all, I appreciate your time today. This is really a fantastic panel. So thank you. Natalie, back to you. Hi. Thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah, we do have a lot of questions that have come in. So I'm going to try to aggregate them into more theme questions. Um, but one topic that we haven't really touched on too much, but we are getting a lot of interest in um, is the political climate. And people are curious, you know, with the current political climate in Georgia, you know, is this impacting you, your crews, your choice to stay in Georgia? Um, you know, are any of your colleagues choosing to come or not come? Uh, just what can you say about what's happening in Georgia right now? Well, I could tell you, I know on, on, on our show, because I've been here through a couple of elections, and uh, our crew is politically mixed, and we pretty much um, intentionally keep politics uh, off the table for discussions. They don't talk about it in the makeup trailer. We don't talk about it on set. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard not to, and it's hard not to politicize what's going on. But it's kind of what you have to do because it triggers a lot of really strong emotions. Um, what you know when they they talk about these these uh, issues that are very important, and what does that mean about you know trying to pull your production out to make a political statement? You know, like we all said, we're like we're grounded in here. I'm on the third season of a show that was a spinoff of another show that was here for five seasons that was spin off of another show that was here for eight seasons. So we're not going anywhere. We all have long-term leases on buildings. We've built dozens of sets. We employ a ton of people. We'd be doing all of those people, the crew that we hire, we would be hurting them if, if we left. And I know that there is one show that feature that left Savannah to go to new Orleans, make a, political statement. And I know what, what Stacey Abrams, even herself said, what, please stay and fight because you're hurting, you know, the wrong people. I know some videos were made after the last thing, after the heartbeat bill became um, a thing, but you know, what's happened. A lot of us, we live here most of the year and legally you, you're a resident here, or maybe you're not, you're not declaring yourself a resident, but you have, you have a driver's license here and you own or rent property, you could decide if you want to be a registered voter here. And by voting, you can make a change. So that's kind of uh, what, what's, what's happening. Well said. But no, well said. I, yeah. And I, and I don't think, I mean, I, I think other shows, you know, when, when things were happening here, they're like, you know what, we're not going to go there. It's a hotbed. Well, we're here already. So, and I have a lot of people who depend on this job for their livelihood, and I want to try to protect them, keep them safe, and keep them working. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. Mitchell or um, Gideon, would you like to chime in? Yeah, I, I, um, I have uh, similar feelings to, to Bonnie. Um, and um, after that feature left, 
I actually wrote something on my Facebook and I said, um, well, when you have your next project, um, please come back because we'll still be here working and voting. I think there's a question of where you want to spend your personal money versus where you want to do your work and who you want to be protected of, protective of and who you're influencing. And I think those are two different choices. One's a very personal choice and one is a, is a business choice. I think that um, what's going on in the country at large with this whole voter suppression thing is that's at one point where you're going to work on, on, you know, Tahiti. I mean, this is just in 43 different states. I don't know how you make an elected decision about something like that. I think there are certain other issues that Georgia's gotten involved with, which sort of broaches a different sort of line. And so the question is, would I want to bring my own project to Georgia versus if I'm working for someone else, that's a different choice. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't find a land in Savannah is not like you feel like you're an alien universe that just looks at the world completely different than I may look at it, which there's nothing wrong with it, just different. You don't feel that. I mean, they're both vibrant cities that have a lot of interesting things to to speak for it. So I think I think, you know, you're right. You you wind up hurting the people that are not necessarily in league with the problems that the politicians are making. I mean, there have been problems in Georgia elections for a very long time. And I don't think that goes away anytime soon. And it's to me, it's just, you have to segregate your business from your personal. True. And, and Andrea, um, from a perspective of the universities, you know, I know many people who have gone, you know, who moved to Georgia to go to SCAD. So, um, you know, do you, do you still see the university as being a, a huge attractor, bringing, you know, new young people to Georgia? Absolutely. Um, I mean, our, our film school, our school of entertainment arts has grown um, in the, it has almost tripled in size over the past uh, four years. That's a tremendous impact. Um, to the economy in Georgia. Um, and that's just our School of Entertainment Arts. Um, so we're growing leaps and bounds. It's attracting, you know, it's attracting not only um, the students, but the faculty. Um, we have faculty that have moved here from Los Angeles and from New York um, that are right from industry. Um, you know, we have, Every all of our all of our professors are actually um, either still working or are just coming off of sets, and so that's made a huge impact in terms of who's here and and what that does and what how that shapes um, what Savannah and Atlanta what the makeup looks like. Thank you. Uh, I, I think this will be our last question because we are running quite a bit over on time, but this is a, another um, kind of aggregate of a lot of people are curious to know, um, how do you feel about the overall outlook for Georgia and the filming jurisdiction, uh, you know, with how things are now and, and where things may be going? I think, there's a big un, I think there's a big unknown. I mean, the fact is they're very supportive of the film incentive that works really well. It's what sort of triggered everything. But at the end of the day, legislation can change that. So I think that what one never knows is 
what does the future hold? And things sort of ebb and flow. They really do. I mean, I don't think North Carolina ever thought they would essentially lose their, you know, substantially their film incentive. So I think that it's in an interesting way, it's kind of like when Amazon first started out, they just like, they lost a lot of money and they just dominated the space. I think what Georgia's done, it's trying to get so far ahead of itself, there's no way to take this out because it would have such a deleterious impact on the economy. And that's maybe it's, it's, its greatest protection to maintain is the fact that it's become such an integral part of the economy. But then again, you never know. I mean, it's just like, you know, I've watched things go to Canada. I've watched things go to Europe. I watched things come to Georgia. I watched things go to Louisiana. There is a flow with these things. And at some point you just can't, you know, you can't say with absolute certainty that it will never go away. And I just want to go back to what Bonnie said. I mean, start trying to say non-political. It's really about the jobs and the economic uh, stimulus that comes from people working and the ripple effect to that. And this industry continues to do that and it's not going to stop. Uh, and Georgia is, is, has been a destination for 15 years. And I hope to, to see it continue and grow as a, as a prime destination for I the reasons add, we stated. I want to add something to what uh, Mitchell said, because... Of course, we've seen the movement of production and how easy we know it is to just uh, pick up and go. But I have a feeling that Atlanta is here to stay. I have that feeling not because of the enormous uh, investment in uh, infrastructure, but because there's something that's holding this together, which is a great uh, collaboration of government, of labor, of vendors, of studios, and the goodwill of the Georgia people. So I believe that all this uh, will win the future. Look, I don't disagree with that because I think it is so embedded. I think it's missing one link in the, in the chain, which it really could, could use, which is it doesn't have the creative substance here and that's really the next step when it starts generating projects internally in the state is when things begin to change and it becomes a defined center it's not quite there creatively things are still outside of georgia and i think that needs that that should change and maybe more people working here say i like being here i'll work here i'll do that and obviously with zoom and things like that things have changed dramatically in the business but i think it needs that to really totally sink its, its hooks in as, as a permanent place. And there was actually discussion at the beginning of our season about possibly moving the writer's room out here. And then when the, the pandemic hit, you know, nobody wanted to really leave home. I don't know if that's really off the table. It hasn't been brought up again, but I think you're right. Like we could do post here. I know we do our vis effects here. There's probably a lot more posts that we could do here if that talent would come out here. And if writers would would be out here, other than Tyler Perry and his his kingdom, but if if some of these other you know prolific producers actually spent more time out here, I, I think that I think you're right. I think that would change more stuff would be generated from here. Well, there was a time that nobody wanted to do posts outside of LA because executives mm-hmm. want to walk into the room, whatever it was. And I know about three projects ago, I set up posts entirely in Georgia. And they've done it 
on every other project. And I've watched that build. They are building a post-production capacities here. It's still limited, mm -hmm. but again, I think you're right. I think, you know, build that they will come eventually more people move here because it's less expensive. The taxes are a lot, lot less. It's, you know, it's a nice place to bring up kids. There's, there's a bunch of reasons, which I'm well past that. Um, there's a bunch of reasons to do that. And I think, you know, so they are making inroads in that and you're right. There's a couple good visual effects places. There's a, a one fabulous animation company here. There's about three or four other very solid animation companies. They're building all around it. They just, to me, they just need that final link, which is originate the projects here, write them here, do this stuff here. And then all of a sudden you're really embedded in a way that's hard to pull out. I also want to add something, which is something that needs to be uh, continuous which is that we need to reach out to the legislators, all of us. And, it, and it's not something that has to be limited to a week or a production or a person. It has to be a movement. We have to be able to connect the legislators to the work that we do and to the people that do the work. Uh, because um, it is true that most of the production is in the centers. And it is true that most of the legislators are not in the centers. Uh, and somehow finding a way um, to their heart and also to their mind uh, can only come when you meet them. And we know from our experience that when they come to visit sets or stages, um, they're, they're, they're very uh, moved and informed. Uh, and so we should invite them more to come and visit us and we should find a way to go and visit them too. I like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Andre, was there something you wanted to add? I think we're, I've got, I think we have a minute. <laughs> oh, I just, uh, you know, I'm all about what, what Mitchell was saying about, you know, the, the content creators, that's what we're doing. And we're so proud of it. We have writers rooms here. We have mentors who come in. That's, that's part of our, like I mentioned, that's our superpower and that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're filling that link. Um, and we're filling it with our faculty who are training our students and creating together. And that's our, you know, that's our continued commitment is doing that. And we have the number one animation. We got amazing animation program here that we're working with as well. So. That's fantastic. That's a perfect end. So um, now I'm going to turn it back to you, but just want to, again, thank my panelists. I know all you have to get back to producing or, or teaching. So I will, I will let you do that. And uh, I guess, Natalie, you'll, you'll wrap this all up for us. I will. Thank you again, um, all panelists, for your stories and for your expertise and for hopefully inspiring people to go to Georgia. Um, and thank you to everyone who posted questions for our panel. We did get quite a bit of Q&A today. So if we did not get to your question or if you think of something outside of today's webinar, please know that you can always head over to the Production Community Forum to keep the discussion going. And if you'd like to revisit today's webinar, you can see the recording along with our entire library of the Master Series over at the production community. We also have sections for product news and support, as well as COVID-19 news, including our new reopening tracker, which helps to aggregate all of the latest announcements uh, for every state within the US. So we encourage you to head over there. And if you happen to be looking for work, you can also post a resume in our resume portal. 
Another resource we would like to let you know about is my.ep.com, where production workers can access their last three years of U.S. EP pay information. You can compare week-over-week changes, and if you are filing an unemployment insurance claim, please know that important information that you need for that claim is over just a few clicks away at my.ep.com. We also like to let you know that it is your destination to purchase the new movie Magic Budgeting, and there is a special running so you can try it for free for one month, so we encourage you to try that and let us know what you think. And we also want to remind you that we do have that e-learning academy, Joe kindly mentioned, that we have our production accounting 101 and 201 courses. Uh, We have over a dozen courses available there, and they are valuable resources that can help you take that next step in your career. So we encourage you to be one of the thousands of members of my.ep.com and utilize those resources today. And the last thing is that we encourage you to also visit the EP blog. It is something that we newly launched, and there you can explore the latest in entertainment and production news, get insights from our experts on essential issues, changes in legislation, and much, much more. We do hope that you uh, head over to EP.com and check it out. And a special thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We hope that you all stay safe and healthy, and we look forward to seeing you at the next Master Series. (laughs) 